Hello, listeners, and welcome to another episode of My Own Matters. Great to have you join us for today's podcast. I'm your host, Anna Yurondes, and today I'll be joined by my Therapy Association board member and director of Unraveling Red Tape, Elaine Avery. Today we'll be chatting with Elaine to understand a little bit more about the space of advocacy. What is it? How does it work? How can you as a peak industry member get involved to help support the work that your association might be doing. We've heard the word advocacy, particularly over the last couple of years throughout COVID, but let's dive a little deeper and really get a sense of what it means. Elaine has studied and won awards for law, science and foreign languages at universities around the world. She spent over a decade in the Australian federal government, designing law and creating solutions to challenging policy issues. Elaine then jumped ship to the association sector, working with the Property Council of Australia, and then as General Manager, Strategic Policy for Private Healthcare Australia, otherwise known as PHA. Now, while working in the university sector, Elaine was awarded the prestigious Outstanding Achiever of the Year Award for her policy work, awarded to only one recipient of this sector, a remarkable achievement to say the least. Elaine truly believes that government and its legislation should empower everyone to create a better community. In particular, smaller organisations and individuals should have the same access to high quality government decision making as those larger organizations. That's why Elaine created Unraveling Red Tape in 2018 and now works with a number of different associations and industry groups across the board and with government to fulfill this dream one law at a time. So we welcome to today's podcast, Elaine Avery. Thank you for having me, Anna. We've spent a bit of time together, Elaine, and um, we shared with our listeners a bit of an introduction as to the work that you do, but you've particularly worked quite closely with uh, MA over the last couple of years, and and we're going to share with our listeners a bit more about what that looked like. But I'd really like to have an opportunity to understand from you, how would you explain to our listeners today advocacy. So what is it? Because I suspect many, like myself, I'll be honest, simply believed advocacy to be, you know, just going out there lobbying, maybe holding up your signs and making a whole heap of noise. (laughs) Well, that's a really good question. Because sometimes when we look at this sector, as you say, it, it looks like it can be something really easy. But I will say it's a lot of hard work and a lot of research. Because at the end of the day, You need to really work out what you want and whether what you want is useful. So often, say your end goal, and this is the case for a lot of of health professions, is when GST was introduced, there was a list of GST-free professions. So a lot of health professions who aren't on that list want to be on that list. But it's not a simple process. That would I I reckon that's probably about a a 10-year process if you stayed it stuck at it for 10 years and were successful and sometimes you look at that and you say well that's really hard and that's a lot of time and a lot of effort so let's look at things that we can do now so a lot of it's looking into policy looking into what government wants to achieve right now and looking at where you can find I guess synergies and things that you want that work towards what government wants. And so you can have those things together and that'll help you open the door and have the conversation with government and say, look, we can help you to achieve the stuff you want. And here's some ideas. So a lot is it's a lot of research, a lot of stuff uh, looking at 
what's done overseas, what's done in similar professions, what similarities are. So it does look like just making a lot of noise, but really most of it initially is that really hard work up front about doing your research, doing your reading, working your way across it, and often finding the right person to talk to. And if you can find that compromise solution that fits what you want and what government wants, then you're doing really well. And often it'll be it'll be baby steps. Like, again, let's come back to that GST example. That's a really big ask. And it's a really big ask because it's really complicated. And I know it doesn't look complicated, but again, we have to understand where it's coming from. The thing with GST is all the money, whether it be positive money as in an increase in GST or negative as in a decrease, goes to the states. But the legislation is owned by the federal government, so they cop all the flack for whatever happens, mm-hmm. whether it's an increase in GST and the public's like, oh, God, we're going to vote you out or whatever, or if it's a decrease and all the states are going, you're stealing money from us, you're stealing. And I'm being, like, intentionally yeah. quite... Um, using words that might not be the exact words they use Mm. so that it's a no-win situation for the federal government so it is very much a long-term goal and it's a hard work why would you as a federal government do something where you whatever happens you're going to cop flack from both sides so it's easier and it's better to identify smaller things you can have and little steps along the way does that make sense Yeah, absolutely. And look, one of the things I heard in what you were saying there, and I really like it, you referred to going to government or whoever it is that you're wanting to speak with and saying, how can we work with you? How can we help you? And I feel like a lot of the time people may have thought that, you know, advocacy was about going to them and saying, hey, we don't like this, change it. We're not happy about this, do something about it. And that doesn't sound to me like it's the the most productive way in influencing change. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I guess at the end of the day, you've got to remember that just because somebody works for government, they don't hang their humanity on the door as they walk in the door. They're still people. And if you can find a way to help them and make their work easier and also say to them, hey, how can we work with you? And here's a solution that works in with what you want. They're going to be any human being. Like if I come and knock on your door and want money and just go, hey, you have to give me money because this is really bad, you're just going to probably close the door in my face. If I go and have a conversation with you and say, look, Anna, I know that these are your core values and this is what you're trying to do and I get that it's really difficult for you to be across all the charities out there, but I've done this research and I've found the charity that's right for you and this works with you because of X, Y, Z. And is this something you'd be interested in and can we find a solution together? you're probably going to fall over yourself to go, wow, how did you, you've done so much work. Of course I want to, you know. Mm, Yeah. That's that's the difference. Yeah, absolutely. And and look, we we also hear the word policy, policy making, policy change. Um, Regarding the policy making and, and influencing government policy, would you say things have changed from, say, pre pandemic days? I'd say yes and no. So you've got to remember there's two types of policy. And when we're talking in this area, we're talking about public policy, not internal policy. So sometimes when people hear policy, they think about the internal office policies like your WH&S ones or whatever. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about public policy, which is the decisions that government makes that, that impact the whole state or the whole country. What we saw pre-pandemic 
was there's a longer time frame. When I worked in government, usually most decisions come, like there might be some sort of report or there might be some sort of investigation or what we used to, I can't think of the word, what we used to call a post-implementation review. That would that would go on for a year or two years. Um, then there'd be a report. Then that report would go to government. Then government come, reads the recommendations of the report. And then that also goes to the government departments and they come back with a recommendations to government, say, well, this one's easy to implement, this one's harder. And that was the process of policy making. Then you often end up with laws from that. Now, there were always exceptions and things that were done faster, but that was the way that policy making was done. So we had time, we had time to do a lot of consultation. We had time to do draft legislation, then consult on the draft legislation, then do another draft of the legislation and consult on that. And it was quite a long process. But if you look at during the pandemic, government was making a lot of decisions on the fly. And we actually used to call it in when I worked in federal government, we used to call it a legislation by press release. We saw this government will make an announcement. And then if you ring the government department, and go, what does this announcement mean? What does it mean for my profession? We really saw this in my therapy. The departments would go, I have no mm. idea. And, the, and they really didn't because yeah. what had happened was the, the premier or the prime minister makes an announcement and then government has to go away and the policymakers have to go away and work out how's that going to work? How's that going to interact with other laws? Is there other things that we have to consider? Because as we know in this day and age, no policy is going to work if the IT system behind it isn't going to work, right? So you have to think about all this complex stuff, but what's really happened during the pandemic, and we've seen this, and it's been very frustrating for people, and I suspect it's been just as frustrating for government because I know it would have driven me nuts when I was in government. I know we did deal with some of this legislation by press release, and it can be really difficult because government's made an announcement and it's not always practical to implement. Sometimes we have to go back to government and say, well, no, actually, you can't do that because of X, Y, Z, or if you do that, it'll do the exact opposite of what you meant. Mm. But what happened with a pandemic was because everything was changing every day, you didn't have time for government departments to go back to the government and say, well, this doesn't work, X, Y, Z, or, you know, wait six months to see the legislation. They had to start working on it immediately. And so you had different parts of the government working on different parts of the regulation. So if you looked on the website, you had three pages on the website. We sometimes said five different things. I really feel for the people in mm. government. Absolutely. And and I think, um, yeah, it did. It was very much on the fly, wasn't it? Because uh, they couldn't possibly be expected to be able to anticipate what was coming next. But what came next was just around the corner sometimes. And so they had to respond to that. And, and their response is not always based on an opportunity to have those broad consultation with industry. And I say that because, you know, the My Therapy Association Australia being part of industry, often some of our frustration was, why haven't you consulted us about that before you go out there and, and make that change? Because it seems so counterintuitive. And, and we often saw that the change that was made or at the announcement whether it be public health orders or, you know, health directives created this real reverse workflow. But appreciating what you're saying there is, you know, the human beings who are having to try and make decisions and respond on the fly, which is just so hard to do. And it really comes back to what we were discussing with your previous question. 
is yeah, they are human beings and that they really are doing their best. And if you just go to them and say, look, there's five different pages saying five different things and, you know, we want this change and how dare you? Well, they're already doing their best. They really are. They were already doing their best mm. to try and catch up with this legislation by press release. And what we saw really interestingly in my therapy, and this was at a certain point when the my therapy profession was actually the most frustrated because technically if you read the directions myotherapy wasn't allowed to practice and this is one of the really difficult things for association myotherapy was so as an association we had to say myotherapy myotherapists aren't allowed to practice and we'll just clarify this elaine sorry we're we're talking more about um, what was happening in victoria uh, more than yeah because obviously you know the pandemic was affecting worldwide but obviously nationally and um and we experienced that there were different rules and and different uh, orders being applied to each jurisdiction so for the purpose of this i think much of this frustration was um, within victoria where we have a lot of myotherapists thank you for clarifying that and we knew as well that when my therapist actually put in a personal request or a personal email or personal phone call to the Victorian government, they'd get a different interpretation, which was a more practical interpretation, which is a little bit about what I was talking about before, where that's where the, the government staff are working around what happened and trying to actually make it work as best as possible, even though they know um, that the legislation when it was actually read and interpreted in a cut and dry place or interpreted by a lawyer would have said something different. So you really see in that, and as much as it was frustrating for people because there was mixed messaging, you really saw that the individuals in government really trying to do their best for the community and trying to make it as practical as possible. And I can and absolutely saw the frustration of the Victorian my therapists, particularly the people in Melbourne, But I guess it's coming back to understanding what was going on and that government, that the staff there were really bending over backwards to try and help individuals because they were hearing it and they were seeing what was going on and they were saying, well, actually, it doesn't really make sense. And if you look at this part, you're okay. I've got a bit of a cheat sheet in front of me and, and now I'm going to jump around on that cheat sheet a little bit here, Elaine, uh, because we are talking about influencing change, um, influencing change around uh, perhaps policy making and some decisions. I think quite often organisations, whilst they may want to get involved or perhaps put in a submission, whatever it might look like, to try and have a voice and influence that change, I think often they just go, you know what, that sounds like it's going to be a very expensive exercise and we just don't have the capacity to do that. Does it have to be a costly exercise for organisations or even small businesses, for example, with regards to participating in advocating for something that they would like to see change on? That's a really interesting question and I I, I guess I'm going to, slightly not answer the question initially what I often see is people come to me after they've had a go themselves and sometimes it's a bit like if I had a go at fixing my own car and then took it to the mechanic it's probably going to take overall far more costly in time and money to fix it 
So I would really say, if you're going to think about these things, talk to an expert, because I really have seen cases where people have almost made the situation worse than if they'd done nothing. Oh, but I really want mm. to also say that think about what you really want. Don't, as, you, as we said before, don't just go on with a big complaint. Think about what you really want and accept baby steps. Just think, even if something's 5% or 10% better than it is now, it's still better. And if you can get that 5 or 10% a year, every year, for a few years, you've actually made a significant improvement. So you don't need to go all in, you know, hell for leather, let's get GST changed this year or that or bust kind of thing. Say, well, okay, let's just go for little changes. And then it doesn't need to be as costly because you're saying, okay, let's just do little things. Let's work out a budget. Let's work out what our time is, what our investment is. And let's work out what we can get for that. And it might be something small, but it's better than doing nothing because in two or three years' time, you might be 10 or 20 or sometimes you might be 80% down the track because government might come to you one day. And this happens. It really does. If Once you've got a good relationship with government, government might come to you and say, well, hey, you know, we've been working with you and we've seen that you're really good to work with and, and they'll do this. We need some positive news. Is there something that you really want that's not too difficult for us mm. to work together on? And this has helped come, happen to me several times during my career working with and in industry associations. Mm -hmm. And look, that kind of leads us into sort of a, another question that I did have for you, and that was about, you know, what do organisations need to consider when they, you know, if they say, yeah, I want to do this, I want to approach a, a group, government, stakeholder, whoever it might be. What are some really key things that they need to consider? Because I think as you indicated there, you know, quite often, and sometimes people, when they start this process, they may be harbouring some frustration about something. And I think we've all experienced in our time, if you approach something from a point of frustration, it's probably going to come out wrong. So what are some really key things that they should consider before they undertake this? And you're so right. Often when people first ring me and sometimes when people ring me when I worked in government, if they could find my phone number, which is, you know, Anna, finding the phone number of the right person to help you is often oh, part of advocacy. Look, I tell you, I, I, said, I got to a point and I just think these people don't have phone numbers, okay? You know, I started sending carrier pigeons off to people and hoped that the message got there. But is There is a lot of frustration. People feel ganged up on sometimes. And you really need to, it's like it, when you're talking to, to somebody, you know, if, if you've had a, an argument with your spouse, it's not a, that's not the best time when you've had the heat of the moment to sit there and, and try and resolve it. Sometimes you need to walk away and think about the bigger picture. And I would really say before approaching government, passion is good, but anger isn't. So make sure you've had time to sit back. Go and do some research, sit on the government web pages and read about what their aims and objectives are and what they're trying to do and really work in how you can work together. And when you sit there and have a look at their aims and think really laterally, think outside the box, think, is there anything that would help me and my profession or my industry or my organisation that kind of fits within these broad objectives that government's trying to do and work in, if you can work those two together, 
then you're much more likely to get a result. And so, for example, if you're looking at government, I know, for example, I've seen cases where governments made decisions based on incorrect information. And that's a really difficult sellback to government to say, well, actually, you've made the wrong decision. But it's about going back to them saying, look, I know you were trying to do X, Y and Z. And I can see that the information that you've been given was incorrect because you've done this thing and actually, and and go and look, say, and this is what it's produced. This Mm. is what's happened because of that. And I can see that that's not what you Mm. need to do. So is there a way we can work together to fix this? Yeah, uh, absolutely. And I think there, there's some really great tips. And certainly I know, Elaine, from working quite closely with you after the past couple of years, I've taken away some real gems that you've, you've provided to me. And one of the key things that you've said to me time and time again, because I've been, a, you know, I'm a culprit of coming from a place of, of frustration and, you know, they, why, why isn't this happening and aren't they listening to us? And, you know, it's, this is not fair on our members and so on and so forth. And, and I've said to you, Elaine, I, I need you to, you know, work with me and we need to encourage them to do this and this and this and this. And you said to me, Anna, one message. <laughs> one message because right now you've you've got a whole lot of things there let's sit down and really consider what it is what what is the outcome that you want and let's give them one message and let's not try to complicate it by throwing so many different things at them and I imagine you've probably experienced this with many of your clients that have come to you because as you said they they tend to reach out to you when they're at that point of being so frustrated but it's not not just one thing anymore it's a it's a multitude of things and that's absolutely it. it's just focus on work out at that point in time what is either the biggest issue that you need addressed or the most likely thing to get addressed and just have one message. Because again, if I go into a meeting or if you go into a meeting or if someone comes to you and they go, oh, Anna, I don't like global warming, it's really bad and there's poor people in the street and there's all the homeless people and then there's kids dying and then there's this and you just you just feel overwhelmed. Where if someone came to you and said, look, as I said, come back to the chat, like Anna, I've looked into things that you're really interested in, and here's something about child poverty and here's something that you can do to really make a difference, then you're much more likely to respond mm. and you won't be overwhelmed to say, okay, well, that's something I can do. This person's actually taken an interest in me so mm. we can work together on it and just go, yeah, the one message because whenever, remember that everyone's the same as you. Everybody else is busy and they're going through their days and they have a whole heap of stuff on. And when they think of you, you want them to think very clearly of one thing, not, oh, well, that's that person that had all those whinges. Yeah, yeah, far too complex. I have to keep pushing that one aside. I don't have time to get to that right now. So um, definitely. As we said, I mean, you're not only a director with My Therapy Association, but um, the association have engaged your services over the last couple of years um, with a lot of the advocacy that we've worked, that we've done, particularly, you know, within the COVID climate. So can you share with our listeners a couple of little projects that, you know, excited you and, and certainly some of those wins that I we've celebrated, we've celebrated with our members? What are a couple of the projects that you've really enjoyed working on? So the first first project that we worked with government was right at the beginning of the pandemic and and I'm not sure if everyone remembers right this far back there was a lot going on but right at the beginning across Australia consistently at my therapy remedial massage and a whole lot of things weren't allowed to be practiced 
And Anna, you and I went and we spent a lot of hours on mm. the phone. And in fact, government phone lines at the time were all inundated and you got a message saying, sorry, we don't have enough phone lines. I, I was going to say, Elaine, later. it wasn't long after that that people removed their phone numbers. So I wonder, <laughs> I wonder if we had any, because we were on those phones a lot. <laughs> you think it was you and I? Oh, <laughs> uh, look, I don't, you know. I don't want to say, but those phone numbers started getting removed very quickly after that. (laughs) And this was the fascinating part was Victoria was the leader. Victoria was the first state to change and they allowed myotherapy and remedial massage and said, look, you're you're right, it's similar to other things. And that was just amazing because once we got the states rolling off and often you can Mm. can do this, once you get a couple of states on board, the others don't want to be left behind. And that was just great. It was so good to be able to facilitate during that time when people weren't going to GPs, they weren't going to hospitals, they didn't even really like going to pharmacies to say, well, you can access your trusted healthcare provider. And that gave the healthcare providers a feeling that they're part of the system. So my therapist could be part of the solution and that the clients didn't have to at this really difficult time when nobody knew what was going on. There was a lot of angst. Mm-hmm. They could go to their trusted provider, their trusted my therapist. And that was an amazing feeling to be a part of that one. Yeah, it was. And, and as we said, you know, celebrated with our community, celebrated with our members and celebrated with their patients as well. We actually received some um, really beautiful feedback coming in from, from all those areas, which was fantastic. A roller coaster, though, fair to say it wasn't you know we didn't we didn't hang out up on the peak of that mountain um <laughs> we had to come down so a couple of the other other areas I think you know obviously around influencing how my therapist could practice within the healthcare sector but also we were able to be involved in some really positive outcomes with regards to the access to business support do you want to share a little bit about that too Well, that's an interesting one because there's two sides to that, unfortunately, and this is one of the the complexities of business and public policy is so initially and particularly, again, we'll focus on Victoria because Victoria had the longest lockdown and so therefore had the most need for this, was initially, and this just makes no sense and and it shows you how, as I said, how complicated public policy making is, but also how the, I guess the government departments were probably struggling at the time because with a lot of the assistance in Victoria, as far as the department was concerned, who was responsible for the business assistance, because healthcare had been allowed to practice throughout the pandemic, they didn't see that healthcare or allied health needed access to, to business assistance. So that was one side of it. And we spoke to them and we clarified to them, but my therapy was in and we were out, we were in and we were out. So actually a lot of my therapists weren't able to practice. And once we got that changed in Victoria, then we also saw that there was another aspect to it. So, and this was around Australia, Mm. small business assistance packages for for COVID, you had to turn over a minimum of $75,000 a year. Now, 83% of small businesses turn over under $100,000 a year. So to access small business assistance, you couldn't really be a small business. So that was the second hurdle. And the Victorian government has said, look, they, they, they understand that. 
but they don't really know what to do about it, which is a bit disappointing. We've seen other jurisdictions, such as New South Wales, have come out with their micro-business assistance, mm-hmm. and, and it does show you how complex it can be, and it really shows you how much you need to do your research to see what's going on. And also the government departments, we assume they all talk to each other and quite clearly there they didn't. And they were telling us that too. When we were asking the question, they were being quite frank with us in saying, you know, that's looked after by the people within that sector and that's by the people in that sector. And we're like, well, that's all good, but you're all government, right? So you all come together and, you know, sit down over tea and tiny cakes and have these conversations. No. <laughs> and they just, to be fair, Anna, mm. they just didn't have time during the pandemic. No. Everyone was just struggling. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, but look, Elaine, I am going to have to move towards us winding this up because you and I know that we could keep going for hours. And that excites me because I was one of the people that used to look at advocacy and go, oh God, you know, (laughs) I love it. It's crazy. And I appreciate the work that we've been able to do with you because you've really been able to instill that passion in me to understand advocacy and really find a love for it. So for that, I do want to say thank you to you. Well, before we sort of wind things up, I'd like to just encourage our listeners that, you know, don't hesitate to reach out. Don't hesitate to reach out to to an organisation like Elaine's there at Unravelling Red Tape and just start the conversation because what might seem like a really scary space to get into, you know, have the conversation with someone that can that can really just put it into some plain English for you is what it comes down to. And you'll soon realise that there's opportunity for participation. And Elaine, I do want to say to you as well, one of the things that you were able to guide the association with was really supporting our members through COVID. They were reaching out and they were saying, how do we get involved? And uh, you were able to support the association in providing members an opportunity to get involved. Would you say that, you know, members should reach out to their associations if they do want to get involved with these things? That's actually a really difficult question and it's one of the issues that was really difficult when I was in government and also across the associations that I've worked with because on the one hand, when members want to get involved, it can be really useful, but if members are going to government and talking to government with a different message from what your association is, then you're actually undoing some of that work. So it's really important if you do want to be involved, there are times to be involved. There are times when it's really useful in a campaign or in the conversation with government, but it's really important to go back to your association, to use a common phrase, singing from the same hymn sheet. Because if you start saying things that are different, government's going to come back and just go, oh, my God, that's all too hard because, you know, Anna from MA is saying this and then we've got this this member over here saying this and this person saying here and it's just too hard. So what my therapy members did really well and clients did really well is follow some of that stuff that we put up on the website and they followed it, followed what we were saying, this is what we're asking for and went to government and we were hearing things from governments like yep we're hearing all about my therapy yep we're hearing from your members all the time and at one point 
I think we had somebody very frustrated say to us, and all I ever hear about is psychotherapy. <laughs> <laughs> That's a frustration for them, but uh, you know, we were happy to celebrate that. So, uh, and, and you're right. And I think the key message there is, you know, rather than thinking I'm just going to go about it my own way and put X, Y, and Z out there, have the conversation with your association if they are, you know, running a campaign or anything like that, and just say to them, look, what, what can I do, and allow them to support you in ensuring that the message is the right message and like you said let's not complicate things otherwise often when something's a bit too complicated people will tend to push that off to the side a little bit so but please listeners you know reach out as I said chat to people like Elaine have the conversation and just you know find out what opportunities are available advocacy does not have to be a dirty word it's not a scary space and you might become a person like me and find that you really love it so Elaine thank you so much for joining us today it's been a pleasure to with you and I know our listeners are going to take away some real little gems from this thank you Anna it's been a lot of fun thanks for your time thank you so thanks again listeners for tuning into this episode of my own matters we always love sharing practical information to help you expand your practice and knowledge please don't forget to visit our website www.myotherapy.org.au check out what the association is doing visit our pd site download some of these podcasts and enjoy your day. Thank you so much.